0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: Well, we turn now to the scriptures and we're continuing in our series that we're calling Encounters with Jesus An Opportunity to See Jesus at, at the Coal Face of the relationships that he had. And today we're going to to do something slightly different because we are looking at the relationship between Jesus, the Son, and the Father. But I'd like to begin by asking you a question. I'd like to ask you, are you interested in the workings of the mind? Are you interested in the workings of the mind? If I um, spend too much time scrolling through videos on Facebook, which, of course, I very, very rarely do. Um, I, I seem to, the algorithm seems to zero me in on, on um, fail army videos. Now, the thing is, I can see the people who are just laughing a little bit right here. And don't worry, I will keep that secret between us. Basically, there are those of us who idle away our hours in the, gutl- in the gutter of, of doing nothing uh, and some of us end up watching fail army videos. Others don't know about that. And bless you, you are better people for it. But let me say that the basic idea is it's just a lot of people doing silly things. And you ask yourself, basically, what were they thinking? How did, how did it all go wrong? How did someone end up thinking themselves into that stupid situation? I've got some pictures to share with you to just get you in the mindset. Here's the first one, uh, the curry donut. One, one more, please. There we go. The curry donut. What were they thinking? Any, anyone here like, had a curry donut before? No. Good. Right. Okay. Okay. Next one. Organic wear. This is great. So this is, this is an advert for cosmetics. And uh, obviously, the marketing people sat around together and said, how can we really make this appealing to the eco-generation of today? I know. Let's get a woman and cover her in leaves. And that will really communicate the organic benefits of our cosmetics. There we go. Next one. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? Which way around should we put this sign? Next one. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? It's fascinating to imagine what people are thinking. Human thought, the workings of the mind are fascinating, but not just on trivial things either. I wonder which famous mind you would most like to get into. Perhaps you'd like to know what this person here thinks, or both of them. Perhaps you'd like to get your mind into Will Smith's and work out what was going on with him the other day. Perhaps you'd love to know what are the thoughts that this lady, Rosa Parks, had as she sat on that chair in that bus or perhaps let's be honest you'd love to know what this guy is thinking right now enough of him just before we carry on I want you to talk to the person next to you and I want you to ask one another whose mind would you most like to get into Okay, whose mind would you most like to understand? And listen, if there are some people around you who you haven't seen before, haven't really chatted, you could sort of be just a little bit kind of interesting and just, just go out there and ask someone around them. And make sure they're kind of, they look ready for it. Whose mind would you most like to go into? Right, you've got 30 seconds, go. Okay. All right. Now, as we always do, that's your topic of conversation for later on, by the way. There you go. Everyone's had a a chance. That's a really easy, non-how-is-the-weather-where-you-live kind of uh, this week kind of conversation that you can have at the end of the service. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, But hold it there, because we are going to think about just that for one very important person. Because this evening, we are going, we are zeroing in to a moment of extraordinary intimacy and vulnerability with God the Son. We are zeroing in on a moment in the Scriptures where we get to to see and and hear the mind of Christ like almost nowhere else. Matthew pulls back the curtain, if you like, on Jesus' relationship with the Father. It's an extraordinary moment. The Master... Of all creation, humbles himself in obedience. The Savior of the world submits himself to authority. It's, it's hallowed ground. But as we enter it, I hope that this evening we'll see that we see some wonderful things. That we get a sense, a new sense perhaps of the beauty of Jesus' character in it. And particularly in his obedience to the Father. And also that we find some inspiration in his example. But even more than that, that we, we find assurance. Find assurance in the amazing completed work of Jesus. Three sections uh, to, to what we're going to look at. A human obedience, a complete obedience, and a unique obedience. So let me... Uh, Look through this passage just under those headings. First of all, a human obedience. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 tells us, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, and just listen to this, okay? Listen to this in the context of everything that you believe about who Jesus is. Then he said to them, this is Jesus telling you about his soul. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. of background here. We've had the the Last Supper just before. Judas has gone out to start his work of betrayal. The cross and Jesus' death is fast approaching. We've had lots of pointers to that in the verses around this. We've had all these predictions about the the fulfillment of of the whole narrative. This story is moving inexorably towards the cross. And in that process, we suddenly get this moment in the garden with Jesus and the first thing that stands out from us is the sheer humanity. That humanity of his obedience. And we see that first of all just in, in how dependent he is. It's striking is that Jesus is about to go to the cross, and it's not the first time he does this. In preparation, he goes to pray. That's striking. Jesus knows his mission, he's known for a long time where he's going. And yet he prays, he seeks his father's help. As he goes to the cross, this act of obedience, in a very human way, he is dependent on God. Now, when you find yourself faced with a decision, I wonder whether you find yourself similarly dependent. When you know what's right, when you know what it's going to look like to obey God, but it's hard, Are you able to come to him and pray and ask him for help? That's the first dimension of Jesus' very human obedience. Second of all, his very human struggle and even uncertainty. As I said, this is a critical moment in the narrative of the cross. It's the moment where he resolves, yes, definitely, I am going to the cross. But it is a battle. Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Overwhelmed with sorrow. What a strange thing to say, isn't it, if you think about it? This has been Jesus' life's work. He's been telling his disciples all this time, This is where I'm going. He's known. But in his humanity, he has experienced the struggle and the uncertainty of the path of obedience. He has experienced a a mental agony so unbearable that he felt like the pain of that alone could kill him. Right then and there. That's what he's saying. My soul is overwhelmed with the sorrow to the point of death. And on top of that, I I don't think it's wrong to read a sense of surprise into these verses. The Greek word suggests a sort of surprising overwhelmedness. Now, that that may be surprising to us. How could the Son of God be surprised? But he is. Not because he doesn't know what's about to happen, but because the sheer weight of it, the disorientation, the mental darkness, the horror that descends on him at that moment as he goes the way of the Father, stuns him. Now, that is what obedience looks like. You know, perhaps you... You faced that. You were looking at, at a really hard situation, doing the right thing in a really thorny issue in your family. Or you decided you needed to get out of that project at work because it just it wasn't being done ethically. And you had some really difficult decisions and, and conversations to have. Or whatever it was you've had to do, often obedience looks like a struggle and comes with a great deal of uncertainty. And we forget that because we always tell about stories of obedience looking at the past. We tell of our, of our heroes. And in retrospect, we often imagine that they just sort of blaze through these difficult situations with astounding moral clarity. But from the other end, from before, as you look at that decision, as you come to a moment where you've got to decide to obey, it often feels like a struggle. It often feels like uncertainty. It often feels like astonishment. So again, it is a very human moment for Jesus of struggle and even uncertainty. And finally, in this moment of obedience, his humanity comes out in the fact that he needs moral support. He needs moral support. This sounds like an extraordinary thing to say about Jesus, doesn't it? But isn't that exactly what it says? Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Yeah, he knows exactly where he's going, and it wouldn't be anything like as torturous if he didn't know where he was going. He knows the inevitability of what what awaits, but he's also human. He needs his friends at this moment. He needs the support of a friend. Uh, our our first child, Marina. Um, we 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 didn't. Well, you know, first time round, parenting—you don't really know what you're doing. After to be honest, fourth time round, you don't really know what you're doing. But um, you particularly don't know with the first one. Uh, and uh, we we got into a habit of putting her to sleep by sort of staying with her, uh, and that was an awful, awful decision. And I just there's a whole sort of phase of my life that's just kind of somewhere in history of me just being in the dark, uh, trying to um, settle my my child down and her watching to make sure that I didn't leave until she got exhausted of watching and um, finally fell asleep. But it's not hard to understand that feeling, isn't it? Daddy, can you be with me? Now think about that. Jesus experienced that. Will you watch with me? Will you stay with me? It's a very human obedience of Jesus' And I say all of that thing just so that we could feel what a compassionate Savior he is. He is someone who has truly walked our path. You know, I imagine if you're a believer, you you pray to Jesus. And I wonder whether you think about who it is that you you pray to. You probably imagine him in a a particular way. Can you imagine him as someone familiar with dependence? Someone who knows weakness. Someone who has actually been inside struggle and uncertainty. Someone who has asked for moral support. Lord Jesus, you know how when you were in the garden, you wanted your friends to watch. I need that this evening. Jesus is a very human obedience. And of course, his humanity is what makes his obedience in so many ways so meaningful. When, when, he, when he took on flesh, his obedience becomes a much deeper thing. You know, the angels just do what God says. He says, go over there, and they go, no discussion. But Jesus' obedience, because it's human, somehow is both inevitable, he's, he's never going to do anything other than God's will, and yet also somehow it is avoidable. He has to go through the human journey of obedience. It has a cost. He has to work his will into submission to God. And that leads me to my second point. It's a complete obedience. It's not just a human obedience, it's a complete obedience. I spoke a little bit about my kids. As a parent, any of you who are parents will know, you get a front seat in the wonderful theater of observing the path of obedience. Um, adults are, are really good at not, not telling you exactly what's going on, but children are not quite so adept at that. And so you can, you can watch the whole journey. Now, obviously, my children are, are incredibly well-behaved, um, and I'm also an excellent father, and my requests are always reasonable, uh, with almost no exception. And um, I'm very consistent and kind and very patient. So what I'm about to tell you, of course, is very, very rare. But on those vanishing rare occasions, this is what I have witnessed. You say, uh, please, could you do this? And then they they go through this this journey. First of all, they were trying to work, what is dad requiring? What is required here? What am I being asked to do? And then it goes to, what do I actually think of doing what he says? regardless of what it is. What do I think of? Not necessarily whatever I want to do. And I'm not even sure what it is right now, but just the fact that he's asked me to do it. And then once having sort of assessed that whole situation, what am I actually going to do now? And of course it always goes very well in our household. It's, it's, it's never complicated. Um, but that journey is actually one that all of us have gone on. But when Jesus does it, his obedience is, is complete. He knows exactly what's required. He, he battles with it. He, he works his will into that obedience. And then he goes that way fully, completely, all the way to the end. Listen out for, for that journey. Verses 39 onwards here. Matthew 26, 39, going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now watch him again, going this journey of obedience. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. There two phrases in there that stand out. My father, he says the first time, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he says again, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If it is possible, if it's not possible. He goes away a third time as well, isn't he? This is Jesus' spiritual obedience. And just as a sidebar, um, by the way, it's a great picture for us too. And I particularly just want to draw out his honesty as well as his action. You know, I think we often think of obedience as just you do the thing. But if the Son of God's obedience involved an honest grappling with the will of the Father, then surely ours will too. He's there. He's there wishing for an alternative. He asks it, doesn't he? He says, is there another way? There's there's part of him that's there. He recognizes that there's a clash of wills in obedience. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And Christian obedience involves that kind of honesty. That sort of naming and confronting the struggle. You know, There's a bit of me that wants to go the other way, but Lord, you want to go that way. It did for Jesus, and I take it there was no need for Jesus to hide his battle. We need not hide our battle either. So when I'm looking for spiritual maturity in my own life, if we're looking for spiritual maturity in us as a church, we, we want to hear that honesty about the struggle. Let's be honest, the struggle is always there, right, in all of us. There is not a singular goodwill in me, nor in any of us. We we aren't just monochrome, I'm going in that direction. There is me, and there's my instinct for self-preservation, and there's my instinct for comfort, and there's my inner lawyer who's busy managing my reputation. And all these different things are messing around, vying for influence in my obedience to God. The only thing that changes is that... Sometimes I'm more or less honest. So some days, I would just rather paint a different picture to everyone else. I'm just like, I know what I need to do, and I want to do it, and I have just done it, or I'm about to do it. Now, I can paint that picture quite well. It's not that hard to do that. It doesn't change what's actually going on inside. There is this battle. And in fact, being honest about it is a much better situation to be in because we're much more likely to win. Obedience involves honesty and a sidebar. Ultimately, of course, it involves action. Jesus, he works it through all the the way. He has this clash of wills, but then he goes God's way. As you will, he says, may your will be done. And then he goes to the cross. And it's an amazing moment. If you've been reading Matthew's gospel earlier on, when when Judas comes along and and one of the disciples cuts off one of the, the servants ear, um, Jesus says, oh, put your sword away. Don't you realize I could call in a, a legion of angels right now to whisk me away from this situation? And of course, if it was true then, it's true all the way through the, the, the narrative, all the way to the cross. At any moment, he could have just pulled the eject, ejector seat, you know, just shot out, pulled the ripcord, got himself out. As easy as that, as easy as a, as, as a click of the fingers. And yet he keeps going, he becomes obedient. Becomes obedient even to death on the cross, as Philippians 2 8 uh, says it. His obedience is complete. Good. Well, just before we get to our last uh, uh, point, I just want to share with you for a moment a, a picture here. <clears throat> um, this is um, by Heinrich Hoffmann. And uh, it's actually Alison Lawton who's inspired me to go after this one. Um, uh, She's shared a few images from a website called Christian.art, uh, which puts, collects um, reflections and um, classical works of art. And this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I just want to read you the, the comment here, which I think gives us a lovely picture of it as you look at the, the image. This was Christ's darkest hour. From the words he spoke to his father, we can feel that his prayer was intense. Jesus was in a moment of agony and anxiety. He was fully human whilst being fully divine. What is so beautiful about this prayer at Gethsemane is that Jesus is completely honest towards his father. He shares exactly how he feels. That's wonderfully kind of depicted in this painting complete openness. And yet at the same time, Jesus displays in his prayers a complete obedience and dedication to God for his will to be done. Prayer does not change God's plan for us, but prayer changes us to fit to the will of God. It aligns our will to his will. Good. So we've had a humble obedience, a complete obedience, and finally a unique obedience, a unique obedience. We've spent some time thinking about Jesus' obedience, and there's a great deal that we can learn for ourselves and our own experience in that. But I think if we, if we only look at Jesus as an example, that's only half the story. and It's probably less than half the story, in fact. Because the real essence of what's going on here is something that we will never do. Jesus' obedience to the Father, in that sense, was unique. It was different from our obedience. And there are two symbols I just want to pick up briefly as we close. The first one is the cup. Jesus says, uh, verse 39. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus isn't holding a cup. There's no cup anywhere near this. The cup is uh, an image, a symbol of death and suffering and judgment. Now, commentators have often zeroed in on this particular moment in in the narrative of Jesus' uh, death and pointed out a pretty obvious but striking thing. The early Christians were known for dying peacefully was one of the most powerful things that convinced people that the Christian faith was true. They'd look at these Christians dying often in really difficult circumstances and just be amazed at their confidence. Why is Jesus so troubled? If his followers were so famous for basically dealing quite well with those kind of situations, why is he having such a hard time? Well, the answer is, I think, that that cup... That Jesus is talking about. Is something unique to him. He is facing more than a common death. He's facing God's judgment. God the son. Is facing the judgment of God the father. Now what do I mean by that? Well God is perfectly just. N- no wrongdoing escapes h- his justice. Now that's a great comfort for us. We think about what's going on in the world right now. There is no atrocity that is outside of God's eye that he will ignore. And yet, that means we, all of us, face God's judgment. And at that moment in Jesus's life, as he came to the cross, in a very unique way, in a way that, for example, none of us could ever do for one another, Jesus prepares to drink the cup of God's wrath and judgment for himself. Now, why do we say that? Well, Jesus, do you notice what he asks? He says, um, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away from me. In, In other words, could I not drink it? He asks. Could someone else perhaps drink it? Or could it just not be drunk? But Jesus' obedience ultimately tells us that, no, the answer to that is no. No one else can do this, and he must do it. Only God the Son can bear the wrath of God the Father such that you and I would not have to. There's so much more I can say about that. It's a mystery in many ways, um, but not for now. I wonder what that unique obedience means to you. Well, we're almost wrapped up here, but... As we come to the end, I'd love to just leave two applications with you, particularly about this unique obedience. What does that mean for us? Well, firstly, it means that we can rest in Jesus. We can rest in Jesus. You know all those times that we think back in our lives and we, we, we sort of just, we, we cringe about what happened. The things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. Those memories that we would rather wipe out from our minds. And all the many things that, frankly, we've forgotten, but we know we shouldn't have done. And the things, perhaps, that we don't even realize we've done wrong, and yet, at some level, our disobedience to God. For those, Jesus has suffered and died. If we're trusting him, he has dealt with them. They are, they are no longer ours. Nothing to do. We don't have to now somehow make up for them or, or compensate or, or indeed try to sort of do that kind of psychological dance of trying to let the memories lie, try not to disturb the dust, otherwise we'll, we'll have trouble with that. It's gone. God's displeasure at our wrongdoing, present, past, future, it, it's, it's away. It's been born by, by God himself. The son has suffered the alienation from the father. And, and so we can rest. We can rest. I don't know whether you remember that moment in, uh, when you were 16 and it was the summer of your GCSEs. Or, or some, think of some kind of moment of exams or pressure. And, and you were sitting there just worried about this time when the results were going to come. And then do you remember the, the summer after they we were all finished? And you were like, oh, you could rest. We're not We're not waiting for results. We can rest, the results are done, and they are there in Jesus. We can rest, and finally, related to that, we can trust. We can trust. Brief story to finish with um, I uh, I, I tend to err on the side of um, sort of up to the wire in terms of my timekeeping, and uh. Well, I was going to say once. On many occasions, I've been caught out, but on one occasion, very spectacularly, uh, I was taking a flight to New York, and I arrived at Gatwick Airport with 45 minutes to go. And I came in; there was no one there. I went straight to the desk. Brilliant! I've got no bags, so I just walked straight on, and they said, "No, it's too late." And I just, thought oh, this is a disaster. And I had, I had these 45 minutes of just imagining all the people walking through the building, going through, the, you know, and the plane was still there and getting onto it and just settling themselves in. And there was my empty seat. And then sort of seeing the plane just take off and go off to New York while I was still uh, in Gatwick. And I spent the rest of the day in Gatwick. It was, it was not my finest hour. Um, Now, here's the thing about that situation. I was not in the plane. It was off to New York. I was on the ground in Gatwick. One of the images that the Bible gives us of faith is being in Christ Jesus. It means that wherever he has gone, somehow we have gone. Now, I could think my way onto that plane, but I was never going to get to New York that way. I actually had to get onto a physical plane. But somehow, in some extraordinary, mysterious way, when we're joined to Jesus by faith, we are in him. It's like we have gone through the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's like we have gone through his obedience. It's like we're connected to him. And all the good that he has done is somehow ours. Now, I could spend much more time talking about this. I won't say much more. But we need to trust that. We need to trust that. That somehow we are in Christ. And that all his obedience is ours. And therefore, his future is ours too. Wherever he has gone, we will go. And that is wonderful news. So... A human obedience, a, a complete obedience, and finally a unique obedience for us. Good, I'm going to call the um, musicians up. Come and uh, uh, join me up here uh, as, we, as we prepare to sing a final song. But let's, let's join together in prayer just before we do that. Let's pray.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast.